You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording from the fifth webinar organised as part of Framing Aging, Clinical, Cultural and Social Dialogue. The third speaker was Professor Desmond O'Neill from Trinity College Dublin, who presented on Cultural Gerontology and Medical Humanities, Opportunities for Mutual Learning. Great. Thanks very much. Look, it's been fantastic to be here. All these sessions have been really wonderful. I've been, my imagination's been stretched. My beliefs have been stretched and I've seen new ways of expressing. I think the interest here is, and it's going to be a real interest to us when we bring together all of these um, various talks and discussions is, uh, how do we move forward further with uh, interdisciplinarity or indeed transdisciplinarity? Uh, let's not get caught up on that particular phraseology. And I think I've been involved with medical and health humanities for about 30 years now. And I do think there's some really interesting parallels. And I think there are opportunities uh, arising from looking at how uh, these sectors work. And both have been working uh, for millennia, almost certainly, but perhaps in a formalized way, probably since the middle of the last century. We're fortunate to be working in what must be the richest stage of life, as we say in gerontology, we're born copies, but die as originals. And I have to say, there was never a second thought for me. Uh, whatever way I was fortunate in my family background to see aging as interesting, that there was no other thing I really ever thought about uh, working in. But it's a real challenge uh, to explain the complexity of this richness. And I'm often um, think of St. Augustine talking about time, uh, that it's very much similar to the way we might uh, imagine aging in that if uh, if nobody asks me, I know what it is. Um, but if I wish to explain it to him who asks me, I do not know. But of course, the truth is indeed out there. And I think we've uh, developed an understanding of the complexities and challenges of understanding through these series of webinars and indeed looking forward to September as well. Now, when I look at cultural gerontology or humanities and arts and aging, or indeed medical humanities, I sometimes wish that we'd uh, relabeled it the big picture, because what it is, is about standing back. It's about liberating ourselves from the shackle of whatever, as Foucault would call the medical gaze, but there's a sociologist gaze, there's a psychologist gaze. That, but I think a slight danger sometimes is not also realizing that we also need to be in the mix as well. So it's standing back and looking, it's inquiring, it's interrogating, but it's also, if we're going to show our value in terms of humanities and arts with others, we must also be willing to have uh, interrogation coming back the same way as well. And indeed, I'm going to give two examples where I see the challenge of uh, humanities approaches to aging that don't actually think through, hold on a minute, what's going on in all the various knowledge of aging. And one is this very well-meaning uh, book by two literary scholars about late life creativity. And they take four composers and look at something we know from um, uh, Gene Cohen and others, that late life creativity is great 
not in spite of aging, but because of aging. And three quarters of the book is great. Uh, no contest around Richard Strauss, Strauss, about Giuseppe Verdi or Olivier Messiaen. All their late works, truly phenomenal. But then the next thing is they bring in Benjamin Britten and his death in Venice, and they ascribe the creativity impulse from his heart failure and stroke, and he was only in his late 50s. And again, the issue here is around an interrogation and saying, hold on a minute, heart failure and stroke is not premature aging, and it's a throwback to uh, outdated failure models of aging. The next one was a paper in Medical Humanities where in vain I pointed out to the editor, who decided to ignore my, um, as is her right, uh, my um, challenge with this paper, where they characterized uh, parents being estranged from adult children as a particularly a phenomenon of later life. And in fact, uh, parents, there's no evidence whatsoever in the gerontological literature that this is the case. And indeed, I would have to say from my own practice, I would see reconciliation, uh, possibly the, the opposite trend. So it is important that we have an opportunity for this intermingling. Now, the good news is there have all, the danger is we sometimes don't see what's there. And the very first issue of the very first volume of the Journal of Gerontology had a paper by John Draper, who was a professor of English literature at the University of West Virginia. So I think from the get-go, you can see that in gerontology, there is an openness. There was very early on, considering the first journals, 1946, uh, history of gerontology. And, I, I, you know, widespread from all fields of gerontology, this from health gerontology, Joseph Freeman brought together this wonderful volume of aging and history and literature to show that there's always been an interest, that there's always much to learn from philosophy, poetry, theater, and drama, but that, um, that, that it's formalization, almost certainly, from the middle of the last century. And indeed, uh, we can see that in nearly all journals on aging now, there's a section on medical humanities, uh, European geriatric medicine since 2019, JAGS, the key American geriatrics journal from last year, the gerontologist longstanding, and indeed, there's age, culture, and humanities, humanities its own journal. But even beyond that, the Lancet Impact Factor 60, and of course, one of the things I'll come to in the end is one of our enemies of promise in terms of interdisciplinarity is perhaps an emphasis on issues such as impact factors in promotions, et cetera. But the Lancet Impact Factor 60 has carried a very significant amount of humanities and arts related to aging. And indeed, from this cover, we can see how this proactive approach, this broad holistic view, including humanities and arts, has led them to put this quote on their cover, that aging most often framed in negative terms, questioning whether health services, welfare provision, and economic growth are sustainable, argue instead that being instead of being portrayed as a problem, increased human longevity should be a cause for celebration. So, there is a very significant opportunity here, and indeed an opportunity I think that's perhaps not uh, well enough capitalized on to date, of bringing together the uh, area of medical humanities or medical and health humanities, which again has been there since antiquity, but probably formalized through the work of Pellegrino and others, and indeed has a broad range of areas of its scholarship and significant amount of journals and medical humanities, 
arts and health and arts therapies. And this allows us to generate parallels such as cultural gerontology, humanistic gerontology, and narrative gerontology. And indeed, we're all here today on, on, on behalf of the insight and the open arms of uh, the Wellcome uh, Foundation. And it really is, uh, I think, important for us to realize we have opportunities here. And indeed, I think hopefully the next generations of the major textbooks, and I know this is happening with Tom Cole's textbook, which Kate de Medeiros is co-editing, will include much more from health gerontology as uh, discussants or contributors, and indeed, hopefully, the next edition of Cultural Gerontology, that really important uh, textbook, which had very slender output from input from health uh, gerontology, might include this as well. But just as um, uh, in terms of cultural gerontology and medical humanities, uh, we need to think about, you know, how do we develop this to be a serious interdisciplinary academic pursuit with high scholarship values, and that it's not a doorway to dilettantism, all the while reminding ourselves that uh, Nietzsche and Adorno both thought that part of Wagner's success was indeed his dilettantism, but I don't think it's something we're totally um, encouraging in this space here. So the challenge, and we can learn much, I think, from medical humanities, arts and health, and those other spectrum, where people have been teasing out the ideas of interdisciplinarity and how we move it forward. And I think one of the ways is to start looking at interdisciplinarity itself. And we've taken a particular interest in our, our own research group in doing bibliometric analysis of authorship in the medical humanities. And it's something uh, we're hoping to move on now to uh, cultural gerontology, humanities and arts. And the question is, in our scholarship, are we breaking cross-field boundaries? Or are we maintaining disciplinary divides? Uh, we've also undertaken work on this uh, in medical history. And medical history, um, um, bibliometric analysis, very much parallels that of the uh, medical humanities. And what we find is that the majority of authors are papers are single authors with scant indication of joint working. Now, we do have a sense uh, from various meetings we've been at that there is more joint working than under the surface. And I'll come to that, what I'd call multidisciplinary. But uh, arts and humanities, a third. Healthcare, a third. Both only 14% and unclear 16%. So there's clearly an opportunity. An area that's hugely neglected and something that we think could be developed more is what's known as the scholar's courtesy or acknowledgements. And these were absent in 66% and present in a third. But of overall acknowledgements, 55 out of nearly 600 papers, only 8% of the total indicated joint working. And in single author papers, 5% uh, of the total in the total 600 papers indicated joint working. So look, there's an opportunity here and perhaps uh, in a metric that might yet be developed. And there's been some interest in this in the bibliometric um, and scientific merit area in looking at the importance of acknowledgements because so little is done necessarily by single authors anymore. So our key in many ways is in, in gerontology. And I take my example from the Gerontological Society of America, where I'm currently the, the chair of the Humanities, Arts and Cultural Gerontology panel. Delighted to have 
colleagues like Ola Kriebernig involved with me, and uh, trying to build bridges with um, these two important reservoirs of um, resources in aging studies in arts and humanities, ENAS and NANAS. And I think what we sometimes forget is that when you're building a bridge, bridges cost money. So there's an opportunity and other costs in developing bridges, but bridges must be built. And I think incorporating what is needed to build that bridge is part of our work together. So a very nice paper on this from somebody who's been a long worker on this, uh, Andy Ackenbaum. I, can I direct people towards this? Uh, in 2020, um, after when GSA is, is, has been around for 75 years, were what were the options for the humanities and arts in this very, very large society, very large meeting, up to 40 parallel sessions. And the first thing is to expand its intellectual and institutional presence within GSA. And thanks to the work of previous chairs, I have absolutely no doubt that its presence is increased. And indeed, this year, for the first time, uh, we've actually worked with the academic element of teaching, the um, Academy of Gerontological um, uh, Education in, in, in Higher Institutions on a, both a symposium and a pre-conference workshop. So we're formalizing our linkages. Secondly, we should fervently challenge the gerontological imagination. And again, I it's interesting, and we'll come to this towards the end. Um, so many of my colleagues say there's not enough, and I'm going, there's as many symposia on other things. We get keynote speakers. We get, I feel uh, we have to be careful that we don't make a more special place for ourselves than other elements of gerontology. And lastly, to forge partnerships outside GSA. And that's something we're very keen to do with ENAS and NANAS. But there are challenges. For example, I think the sort of things we need to be thinking of is promote scholarship on barriers and facilitators to interdisciplinarity. And issues such as cost, such as styles of authorship, such as the routes to promotion. So for example, to go to a NANAS, North American Network and Aging Studies, uh, the last one held in person, was $350 Canadian dollars in total. It included your meals and tea and coffee, um, again, a relatively small organization without a major advocacy piece. To go to the Gerontological Society of America, on the other hand, is you're talking about a registration fee of $600. You don't get meals and coffee for that. You've got your hotels. You've got your travel. So, um, you, you, But you're also buying into a larger structure that includes advocacy and a range of other options. The second thing is to rethink promotional incentives in the disciplines involved. And one of the constant comebacks to us is that in many disciplines, single author papers are prioritized in terms of merit and promotion. And really, if, if departments want to get into interdisciplinary work, that can no longer, uh, uh, there has to be some hard thinking about that. And again, the authorial incontinence However, in, in, in much of medicine and healthcare also needs to be re rethought with some respect for uh, the guidelines in other disciplines. I think it's really worthwhile, and we've seen this through these workshops, and I think we're going to see it in the new Tom Cole book, where each chapter has a discussant from the parallel discipline, whether it's humanities and arts or whether it's gerontology. And again, uh, where do we do this in our medical humanities seminars, where if we've got a historian speaking, we'll have a physician with an interest in history as to discuss it and vice versa. 
greater use and recognition of acknowledgements, short author biographies and journals so that we know what's the background and how did the author come to this point to be discussing this. I think as a group, we need to be doing less they don't care about us. If you go to the gerontology meetings, the biology people say they don't include enough biological gerontology. If you go to the sociology, they say, oh, the geriatricians, they don't do enough social gerontology. So I think we get in there, we're a presence, we offer opportunities, we link in. And lastly, and most importantly, I think, and I'm hopefully really pleased to be part of this project because it's about developing funding platforms. And um, how do we get there? Well, Callard and Fitzgerald in their wonderful book talk about the progress from inquisitive unidisciplinarity, occult multidisciplinarity, where you're bouncing off other people, but not necessarily acknowledging them. You go to multidisciplinarity where you work alongside, but you're not really interrogating and giving yourself a challenge to really question the fundamentals of what you're doing. And lastly, interdisciplinarity. And they talk about the challenge of reviewers, the challenge of funding, the ethical challenge of um, having a PhD student where their postdoc future is not so obvious, but it's a good life strategy, interdisciplinarity. This book is free to download. I also think a book that's very helpful and parallel, and it could be useful to develop a similar model for, for, for aging studies, uh, a nice book, Research Methods in Health Humanities. There's a bit of narcissistic uh, element of narcissism with small differences in the first chapter about the difference between medical and health humanities. But otherwise, it's very good in introducing to people to close reading and other uh, methodologies. Um, just a sign of us working together uh, and the opportunities that are there with, with NANAS. Uh, we want to do some joint work together around a webinar. And our first um, uh, go at this now will be a joint seminar, a webinar on publishing in humanities, arts and cultural gerontology. Uh, the details will be mounted soon on the GSA website. And I think it brings together these streams and it's, a, it's an adventure we're really looking forward to. Lastly, I just like to thank everybody at this, this talk uh, for my own support in the work in cultural gerontology, wonderful colleagues in TUH, very supportive for huge arts and health program, our colleagues in TCD and UCD, particularly for this, this project, but we've had funding for, and to give people encouragement in aging and humanities work to date. We've had funding from the Irish Research Council, from Wellcome, Sounds Foundation Ireland, HRB, the Mead Foundation and the Arts Council. But I particularly like to thank my parents. Aging is personal. And my parents gave me a very enriched background, a very broad sense of that aging was valuable and wonderful. And lastly, I think like most of us, my very tolerant and forbearing family uh, for all the time, as George Orwell says, writing is a selfish occupation. All writers are selfish. So listen, it's been a great opportunity. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our work collating and bringing this together. And um, thanks to everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Framing Aging. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingaging.ucd.ie.